Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance access deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. You know what my favorite text is? A Waypoint and the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. The list on the Onyx Hunt app features for chasing turkeys is long, but knowing exact public and private boundaries and land ownership details will help you find more places to hunt, whether that's on public or private. I'll be toting the Hunt app through the spring woods in a few states this year, and I recommend you do the same if you want more turkeys on your table. Also, Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onyxmaps.com hunt this spring. Kenneth had stopped Uncle Odell and chewed on him about having dogs in the game refuge. Uncle Odell said, I ain't got no dogs in the game refuge. Kenneth, he just looked at Uncle Odell and he went to pull his pistol and he said, we'll find out whose dog it is. And Uncle Odell cocked his rifle and said, that dog dies, so do you. On this episode of the Bear Grease Podcast, we're telling a story that's never been written in a book or seen on a film. It's a story that's close to me. Is from my hometown. I want to introduce you to two brothers who were some of the most notorious turkey hunting outlaws to ever traipse the hills of Arkansas. Their names were Louis Dell and Charlie Edwards. But in an ironic twist, they were deeply respected in our community for their forthrightness, genuine nature, and generosity. This story is about bar fights, evading game wardens, and making whiskey all interwoven into a story about character and identity. I wasn't expecting that either. I'm in search of learning something about human nature, something about myself. I've committed to resolving a lifelong position of inner conflict of revering these men, but also disdaining wanton disregard of the law. On this first podcast, we're going to get to know the brothers through the voice of a son, men who hunted with them, and the game warden that chased them for 30 years. Though the brothers are both gone from this earth, in later episodes, we'll dissect their lives with the experts to learn why we love them and why we love outlaws. Well, I guess you get to decide if you like them or not. I really doubt you're going to want to miss this one. He said, if you plan on catching me, you better put your four-wheel drive tennis shoes on. <laughs> and he just turned and walked out. You know, the meeting was pretty well over then. That kind of busted things up, you know. 
My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is the Bear Grease Podcast, where we'll explore things forgotten but relevant, search for insight in unlikely places, and where we'll tell the story of Americans who live their lives close to the land. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. When, when I first started with, with the commission, the first thing my supervisor did was tell us that there's a standing offer of a steak dinner for the officer and his wife. If they can catch Louie Dale and Charlie Edwards, illegal turkey hunting. And that would be the best steak dinner anywhere in the state. Mm. And that stood for a long time, but it never got filled. Wow. It, nobody, he never had to pay it up because nobody ever caught him. Nobody ever no. caught him. We had uh, state police undercover agents come in. We had federal fish and wildlife undercover come in, and they hunted with Charlie. But he never, ever, and Louie did, but they never hunted illegally. They come close, but these officers never could get enough to, to catch them. That was retired Arkansas Game and Fish game warden Jimmy Martin. He worked in Polk in Montgomery County, Arkansas, in the Washitaws, which are the only mountain range between the Rockies and Appalachians that run east and west. At one time, they were snow-capped and soared 10,000 feet tall. Today, the highest peaks are in the 3,000-foot range, eroded by wind, water, and ice so deep in time, the gaps are filled only with speculation. Time also erodes human stories, but much faster. Aldo Leopold alluded to the fact that individual cultures of the world reflect the wilderness from which they were hewn. This is a big story, hewn by wilderness and hardship, and it's unusually personal for me. You see, I grew up in Mena, Arkansas, in the western Washitaws. This was basically the hometown of Louis Dell and Charlie Edwards, though they lived in a smaller community about 15 miles east of town. I grew up immersed into stories of their exploits, and like a shadow over our community, it was impossible to escape their lore, their influence. Charlie was born in 1941 and passed away in 2014 at the age of 73. Louis Dale, the younger brother, was born in 1945 and passed away just last year in April of 2021 at the age of 76. These were modern men. And I want to level with you. For years, I've wanted to talk about them, but I couldn't figure out how to get around two things. The first being the risk of glamorizing outlawing. We're going to talk about some poaching on this podcast. But don't blame me if by the end of this, you find yourself endeared to these men. Deep in the American psyche is a fascination with people who push against the system. You can't turn on a television without hearing stories of lawbreakers. I didn't start this fire, boys. And though it's just under the surface, in many ways, Americans are deeply insecure people. And we're often enamored with people that have enough fortitude to stand against systems of power. We glean identity from these outliers and aspire to be like them, though the vast majority of us aren't. We're a society deeply fixated on obeying laws, 
and that's why we like the guys that don't. Our law-abiding fixation is what has made America a successful nation of law and order, which I like, and so do you. In the second part of this series, and yep, I said this is going to be a series, we're going to dive deep into history, human psychology, and talk with more law enforcement guys to learn why we love outlaws like Doc Holliday and Bonnie and Clyde. We'll learn why we've created endearing fables like Robin Hood and the Dukes of Hazard. The answers blew my mind as the experts laid out a clear roadmap to why we are the way we are. Their origins will shock you, and it might even have something to do with Karl Marx. How's that for foreshadowing? This is the voice of Neil Taylor, a longtime friend of the Edwards brothers. This will give you a scope of the operation these brothers had with turkey hunting. Well, there was one year that Charlie and Louie and had a bet going on who could kill the most turkeys. Now, this was this was back when you pulled out there in the, in the woods and you'd hoot. The only decision you had to make was which gobbler you was going to go after. I mean, seeing 80 gobblers in a flock was quite common. They had a contest, and I, and I may be a couple birds off one way or another, but I'm I'm right there. And these turkeys wasn't ambushed. They, they was called up and killed. I think Louie killed 36. I think Charlie killed, he was either 32 or 34. And was was either 26 or 28. That was all in one season, their best year. But mind you, they did this for decades. The seasonal numbers vary with who you talk to in the community, but undoubtedly, in their prime, and when turkey populations were extremely good, Louisdale and Charlie killed more turkeys in a season than the average turkey hunter would in a lifetime, though they didn't play by the rules that everybody else had to play by. Louisdale was a, you know, he was... I never got, I, in fact, I never went turkey hunting with Odell but one time in my life. But he was he was about as good on slate calls as you might have heard. He knew, he knew how to work one. And it was obvious he killed, he killed as many turkeys as anybody in the world. That was Andy Brown. And that's a big statement. As many turkeys as anybody in the world. But having known these guys my whole life, and my own dad having hunted with them one time, you'll hear about that in episode two, I stand by Andy's statement, though it's only conjecture. I want to tell you my second hesitation in telling this story. Remember, I said there were two, and it's a result of growing up in a tight-knit community. I didn't read these stories. I knew these men and their families, which are still here. I didn't want to tarnish the reputation of the family by broadcasting their story on a national platform. But the Edwards boys themselves didn't seem to care much about that. And I decided the way I'd remedy the situation was go directly to the family and get their blessing to tell the story, which I did. Little did I know what I was getting into. Here's Mr. Jimmy, the game warden, giving us a head start nugget on understanding the Edwards and the context of their story. When did you start with the Arkansas Game and Fish? Started in 1988, June of 88. Back in uh, about the first five years, it was like the Wild West. 
uh, as far as, as turkey poaching, deer poaching, uh, the night hunting, netting fish on the Washtenaw River. It, it was like I said, it was like the wild, wild west that we still had the old time poachers. I was initially assigned to Montgomery County, mm-hmm. and then I moved back to Polk County. I think it was in nineteen ninety four. They're old time poachers. They grew up in hard times. Most of them did. The ones that I ran across, the the hardcore netters that use nets in the rivers and on the lakes, the hard time night hunters for deer, you know, the bad turkey poachers and the bad daytime deer hunters. Uh, They were all from old times when times were tough, meat was hard to come by, and outlawing was just a way of life. Most of the old hard, hard, hardcore poachers came from moonshiner families. Old time poachers and moonshiners remember those two things. The first family member that I went to when I got permission was Stoney Edwards, the son of Charlie. I drove out to the Big Fork community and found him at the Big Fork Mall, which is a small gas station that he and his wife run. I told him I wanted to tell the whole story, his dad and uncle, and he agreed. He began by showing me a story from 1926 that's an interesting puzzle piece. Tragedy literally struck the Edwards family. I'm reading from a laminated newspaper clipping bound in a three-ring binder. So this is 1926, and it says, Officers shoot Carl Edwards. Right, right. In Polk County. Carl Edwards was killed in Montgomery County Sunday afternoon by a bullet fired by some member of a posse that had just arrested two alleged moonshiners and probably were searching for more or for anyone connected with the illicit traffic. Edwards, 23-year-old resident of Heath Valley, which is right where we're at, right. in Polk County, was shot and instantly killed as he drove his Ford car homeward from a hunting trip in Montgomery County. A single bullet fired by one of the posse of six officers is said to have wounded Edwards' brother, killed a dog, and then given Carl Edwards a mortal wound as he sat at the steering wheel. The tragedy occurred in the government road between Big Fork and Norman. So, so who was Carl Edwards to you? He would have been my dad's uncle. Okay. My grandfather's brother. So what were they doing? They were trying to get away from... No. In all actuality, Uncle Andy was only, I think he was only like 10. They had been coon hunting. They had coon dog in the car. And Uncle Andy was in the car, and they were coming back, and the officers hollered for them to stop, and Carl hollered, I will, at the bottom of the hill. The car didn't have any brakes. But you got to take the previous history into account because they'd been trying to catch him for years and hadn't been able to. Mm. So when he didn't stop on command, they opened fire. And, of course, this ad came from the newspaper, which... I'm going to say is biased towards law enforcement at the time. It, yeah. it wasn't a, because those men loaded my uncle up, drove him to my great grandparents' house and dropped him on the porch. When he was shot? Dead, yeah. They left him dead on the front porch. Wow. Uh, uncle Andy was shot through the ear. Now he shot was just a kid. A, he was 10 years old. He was shot through the ear. And of course it killed the So it was the, the dad and his son. In the car with a coon dog. No, it was two brothers. Two brothers. Yeah, they were 13 years apart. 
Oh, I see. I see. And the coon dog in the car. And the, was the coon dog okay? No, killed the, <laughs> killed the oh, dog. Oh, it did. It did say it killed yeah, the dog. It killed the dog, killed Carl, and wounded Andy. So, so Carl was a known moonshiner, and they'd been trying to catch him. Well, you got to consider his dad went to Leavenworth Prison for moonshining. So basically, the whole family was in the business. There's no way around it. Yeah. My great-grandfather had seven sons. And they all lived out here in the valley. Yeah, right over there where I live now. Mm. We're still on the original Edwards home place. The whole family was, quote, in the business of moonshining. And the killing of Carl Edwards and his coon dog in 1926 was a tough pill for the family to swallow. And Uncle Andy, who was just a child at the time, had a partly shot-off ear his whole life. A week after the shooting, the six officers involved would be charged with murder. Carl Edwards was Louis Dell and Charlie's uncle, though he died before they were ever born. This is another newspaper clipping. Charges of murder have been made against six officers who were in the posse that caused the death of Carl Edwards in Montgomery County last Sunday afternoon. The six were Sheriff George Howe, it names all their names, Reuben Edwards, a brother of the man killed, was in Mina Tuesday and stated that the accused officers had been summoned to court. Da, 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 da. I just wanted to say, this was a murder case. And I mean, that in and of itself could lead to a family having some bad taste in their mouth for the law. If it hadn't have been for Rube at that time, the other brothers would have killed all six officers. Hmm. Rube stopped it and said that it, it would go to court. And, It'd be better off taking them to court right. than killing them. But the brothers would have killed them. And they're lucky that they didn't later on. Lucky is probably a good descriptor because all six officers would be acquitted of the murder charges. They got off. None of them were convicted. Nor was there any recompense for the coon dog. This isn't the best way to gain the trust of the government's lawmen. We've learned an important component of the Edwards story. Mr. Jimmy tipped us off to it. They were moonshiners. And let me tell you, that stuff doesn't die easy. Have you ever heard of a community whiskey still? The plot thickens. There were Heese, uh, Davises, Edwardses, and Putmans. All lived in that area in there. And all of them were... The, the still's name was Old Jesus... Okay. The way Dad explained it was when you took a sip of that, that was the first thing out of your mouth was, oh, Jesus. <laughs> so they named the still that. Yeah, but it would run off 100 gallons of mash at a time. So that was a big still. It was huge, yeah. I mean, they were they So it was making, multi- multiple families using, right, kind of in cahoots, using this one they still. They all put their stuff together to make make the whiskey, get it to market, get it. Once they got it sold, then they'd split the money accordingly among the families, and that was their living. I mean, that was their cash wow. money. So all their fields and stuff was planted in corn, mm-hmm. and the corn was used to feed animals and to make whiskey. That was their easiest way to get it to market. You know, this isn't a giant agricultural area, so people did what they had to do. People did what they had to do. That's an important phrase to remember if you're studying the actions of humans. The ideologies and character developed when living under pressure are hard things to get rid of, 
even with the passing of time and the pressure. Carl Edwards was killed in 1926, and Stoney's great-grandfather went to Leavenworth Prison in Kansas before that for moonshine during the Prohibition era. But the Edwards history goes even deeper. We're laying a foundation to understand Louis Dell and Charlie Edwards. People just show up on the earth, but they're always connected to something behind them, for better or worse. The Edwards family came here in 1883, I think, that we actually settled here. This entire community was settled from one wagon train that came from Georgia to right here. I'll be darned. And I guess in a way you could put it kind of like a mafia family, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and and they took care of each other. You know, all the families around, it wasn't like it is today. That You know, there's people neighborhoods. People were really connected. There, There's neighborhoods, well, you had to have other people to survive. I mean... It, you had to have uh, strong allies to survive. Yeah, nowadays everybody gets up and goes to work. There's people that live in neighborhoods that don't know who lived two houses down. They never met them, never talked to them, never, in some cases, never seen them. These people lived and worked together day in and day out for the same goal. And I think that built stronger ties to the community. Is it easy for you to look back at that history and see your dad and your uncle Louis Dell and the way they were? and connect it back to mm-hmm. those times? I mean, it's, it's like not a very far jump, is it? No. They retained their youth till they died. The way they were brought up, that was the way they lived, I mean, right up until the end, you know. Strong work ethic. They weren't real religious men. They believed in God, believe me. Uncle Udell, when we were at the hunting cabin one time, and my uncle never never spoke of God a whole lot. But he come in from turkey hunting that morning, and he said, there's no way that a man can sit up there where I was at this morning and not know that there's not a higher power. Mm. They had their own their own moral compass. It's right and it's wrong, and there ain't no in-between, and there wasn't no changing it. <laughs> mm. Where did that come from? Was their dad like that, like your grandfather? Exactly like that. And I'm, And I, I never met my great-grandfather, but I'm positive that he was that way. You take a man that raised seven sons on the land in here, he's got to be a pretty strong feller. Mm-hmm. First of all, to put up with seven sons, I've got three and I wanted to kill them. <laughs> my grandfather, he worked at the pole yard in town. He only, My grandpa only had one hand. He lost it to an axe. Hmm. He got it chopped off with an, with an axe when he was 18, and they were splitting stave bolts. Wow. But he had... Went to wipe a chopping block off, knocked the chips off, and the other guy wasn't paying attention and thought he'd set another deal up there, and he wow. took it off with an axe. It seems the Edward family has been sculpted by hardship, and they were outliers with an unusually distinct value system. Here's Neil Taylor describing Louie Dell and Charlie. Them, them two boys, some people ignorantly may disagree with me, but they had their own set of morals and principles. Now, they may not have been mine principles or your principles, but they was there, and they pretty much lived by them, you know? Even if they didn't like you, if they come across you and you needed help, they'd help you. Now, uh, everybody knows that they was turkey-murdering son-of-a-guns, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They was probably, they, they were undoubtedly the best turkey hunters 
in this country and probably any other country. Yeah. In the United States. You know, they fed their families. That's the way they they was raised up and their their grandparents, you know. They was poor people back in times of the depression and, and even further back than that. It, it was a way of life. That, that you had to back in the day, you had to do what you had to do to survive. I heard this consistently. The Edwards brothers had a moral code that they stuck with no matter what. Here's the game warden Jimmy Martin revealing an interesting dynamic of the story and talking about the brothers as kids. Interesting point. You grew up with Louie, Dale, and Charlie. Yes, sir. They were, they were about five years older than I was, and then kind of like big brothers. And I don't mean that, you know, if, if, if my mother was violating game fish regulation or law, I'm going to write her a ticket. It doesn't matter if I grew up with Lou Dill Edwards or Charlie or not. That's just the way it, I work. And they knew that, that the brotherhood or whatever we had growing up as kids, that went out the window when I got my job. And they expected it. And they wouldn't want anything else but that. What were they like as as kids? Just just wild, crazy. You know, we, we all were back then. I mean, what did we have for entertainment but out here in the woods? Of course, out here in the woods now, there's people. But uh, when I was growing up, Things were just different back then. You rode rode a horse. I had uh, horses. We you might take off from the house and be gone for two days, and your parents never they weren't worried about it because they knew you was okay out there in the woods. It wasn't nothing to ride from here to Big Fort, all over those mountains back there. Times were different. This is another statement I consistently heard when talking about the brothers, but they had a unique way of making time linger. You heard Andy Brown on the last podcast telling a turkey story about when Doc Ryburn wrenched up under a log to grab a turkey. Well, Andy knew the Edwards brothers well. Here he'll begin to give us an introduction to the brothers, the first time he ever met them. The first time I ever met Louisdale, in fact, I knew his dad, Mac, before I ever knew Louisdale. I'd made me a little stint out west back in the late 70s and was out there about three years and I moved back here in 1980 and uh, when I did uh, me and my brother-in-law we liked to hunt and uh, one fall we were east at Big Fork we were hunting and uh, Ludell he was a dog man he loved to run his dogs and in those days October 1st that's when the dogs got turned loose that's just the way it was I mean it mm. was that's that was that's just the way it happened mm-hmm the implication is that on October 1st, it wasn't legal to run dogs or hunt deer. But anyway, Doug and I, it was middle of October, turkey season was open, and I was eat up with fall turkey hunting. And anyway, I got out there and got a little bunch of young turkeys and got them busted up and called one back in and killed it. And I was proud of that. And Doug, of course, we were squirrel hunting too. But anyway, he shot and shot and shot and shot and shot. So anyway, when I come back out, I walk back off and what? And those, and still call that Lewis Gap. And uh, there stood a guy that I'd never seen before in my life. But he was standing there backed up against a tree, and he had a, he had, I'll never forget this, he had a Browning automatic shotgun, 32-inch full choke, and he said, good morning. I said, good morning. And he said, killed your little gobbler there, huh? And I said, yeah, I got lucky. And he said, oh, he said, well, I'm just up here squirrel hunting, he said. And I don't know what it is. You, you just know that you know. And I knew that that was Charlie. And to describe Charlie Waylon Jennings, 
that's that that's that's the look. I so mean, you had heard of Charlie? Yeah, before. I'd heard of Charlie and Louisville both. I, and I, so you and you knew this was so that I, man. Well, I, and I knew what they were doing. You know, what Andy knew but didn't say is that Charlie was deer hunting out of season. You just know that you know. I, I didn't ask him, but I knew in my mind it was Charlie because he looked a lot like Waylon Jennings. He had was dark hair and the mustache and the beard and really nice guy. But he was. Charlie was a tough guy. I mean, he was mm. he was raw boned and he was tough. So I said, "Well, I better go." So I walked back off the mountain and walked back up to the Doug's car. We were in a little old Chevrolet Chevette. And he had six squirrels laying there in the back of the, in the back of the Chevette, and I said, "Is that all you have got to show for all the shooting you've done?" <laughs> and now understand, I'm at that time. I'm well. I would have turned 23. I was 23 years old at the time. Anyway, he says, do you know somebody by the name of Louisdale Edwards? And I said, well, I've heard a lot about Louisdale. Don't know him personally, but I've heard a lot about him. He said, well, I shot a deer in front of his dogs up there. (laughs) 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 What have you done? (laughs) On the north side of of, uh, Missouri Mountain. (laughs) So he said, it's up there in the high line. And I said, well, we better go get it and try to get out of here. As we turned around and pulled out, we didn't go... We can go 20 yards, and this guy just steps right out in the middle of the road, right in front of us. I mean, ain't no going around him. I mean, he he's in the middle of the road. Mm. And so he, he's on my side. He said, good morning. Y'all doing good? And I just looked at him, and I said, are you Louisdale? He said, yeah. He said, who in the heck are you, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, my, I told him who I was. And I said, he said, uh, where y'all headed? And I said, well... I said, I'm not going to lie to you, Liddell. I said, Doug has shot a deer in front of your dogs, and it's up there in the high line. And he was as tickled as anybody I've ever seen in my life. And from that day forth, it was kind of neat because he liked he liked me. Mm. Do you think he liked you because you were honest with him? You just up front with him from the Absolutely. very beginning? Absolutely. He was an upfront guy. You know, he wasn't going <laughs> to. Liddell Edwards didn't beat around the bush about nothing. It's just the way he was. And I don't know what it is about people in my life. That's the people that I think I'm more attracted to is the people that you don't have to guess what they're thinking. Louis Dell and Charlie had detected some new blood in their domain, and they went and checked in on these squirrel, turkey, and deer hunters. One could surmise that if Andy had made a bad impression, things might have not gone as well. But Louis Dell extended the right hand of fellowship to Andy for life. It was kind of a, it was kind of the deal. I mean, if you killed a, a deer in front of a man's dogs, he was entitled to half the deer. Period. That's just the way it was. Right. He says, "You guys take me up there and drop me off." And he said, "I'll get that deer and take it over to the house." And he said, "Y'all come back this afternoon and get it." And he said, "I'll have it. I'll have the half for mm. you." So we left, went home. Me and Doug and my sister and my wife, we all went back over to their house that afternoon and. He had that deer split right down the middle, front shoulder, rib cage, hind quarter, tenderloin, and give that to us. From that day forth, and that's been 42 years nearly since that happened, Louisdale and I were friends, and so were Charlie. Louisdale and Charlie had a very clear value system that they functionalized in a consistent way throughout their life. Here's Neil with an example. You said they were genuine. Like, what does that mean to you? What you see is what you get. They had their ways, and they didn't care if you agreed with them or disagreed with them. 
they was going to do what they was going to do and what they thought was okay. And they they didn't seem to have any problem hiding the good and the bad. I mean, everybody knew kind of what they were doing and what they were about. It's it's not like they had a dual life, like everybody knew what was going on. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, he didn't make no bones about it to the game wardens. You know, he might not tell them what they want to know, you know, <laughs> yeah. admit to anything. But, I mean, he didn't hide it neither. Back in the... I don't know, his late 70s, I think. They was trying to do away with hunting dogs. All except, you know, little, it had to be a certain size or something. They had a meeting up there at the, the lime tree, and they was in there, and they was arguing back and forth. After all, old Louie stood up, and he said, well, I'll tell you fellas what. You just do whatever in the you want to do, because that's what I'm going to do. And he said, if you plan on catching me, you better put your four-wheel drive tennis shoes on. <laughs> and he just turned and walked out. You know, the meeting was pretty well over then. That kind of busted things up, you know. Four-wheel drive tennis shoes. Louis Dell was known for having a unique command of the English language. So what's what's so interesting to me is how... Everybody was kind of intrigued with those guys, even if they didn't. Well, because they didn't put, they didn't try to make believe that they was something that they wasn't. He, he didn't try to make people think he was better than he was. He didn't make people worse than he was. They didn't dress up in suits to go to this or that. They was old country boys. That's not only what they was, it was who they was. Yeah. It, they, they was just genuine. They were satisfied with themselves and content of what they was. You know, most people are not like that. Yeah, tell me why Why aren't most people like that? <laughs> if I knew the answer to that, I, <laughs> I'd, be a, I'd be a pretty smart man. I, I don't know. People always want some people to think that they're they're better than they are. They're smarter than they are. They don't have maybe confidence in themselves. Maybe they wanted to be something more in life. I, I don't know. Well, you, you know, you, t- you take a lot of people, and you can see this a lot of people. People take somebody that wins the lottery. You know, country boy like me or Louie or Charlie, they, they win $30 $40 million. All of a sudden, they're driving where they have drove a pickup all their life maybe even an ice truck you know all of a sudden they're driving sports cars and wanting to dress in suits and move to a nice neighborhood and they're wanting to be something that they're not yeah and Lou and charlie wasn't like that like i said they was perfectly content and happy with what they was and they didn't want to be anything else you know now both of them was hillbillies so to speak but them boys wasn't dumb by any means they wasn't ignorant Old Louie, he may have looked like a hillbilly, but you start trading with him or trying to outthink him, you better be good. Louie made a lot of money in his life. There's a lot of well-educated college people never made the money Louie did. He was a hard worker. He could see opportunities and buy and sell. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage 
and an easy-to-use app. You can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Montana Knife Company was founded by Josh Smith, one of the world's most experienced master bladesmiths. He's been making knives for 30 years. Made in the USA and manufactured locally in Montana. The knives come with a multi-generational warranty and free sharpening. Designed, tested, and built by hunters, MKC is a hunting knife company first and foremost. They have the sharpest knives out of the box and the easiest knives to sharpen. And that is the dadgum truth. You better be careful with them when you get them. They are sharp. MKC is a fast-growing company. They just hired their 55th employee and are looking to hire about 50 more in the next year or so. I've carried a lot of these Montana knives, and the one that I like the most is their Speed Goat, which is a lightweight hunting knife, just the right size. MKC knives sell out within minutes of being released. So head over to MontanaKnifeCompany.com. They have new knives for sale every Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So check their website and sign up for their text and email alerts. That is the best way to find out when they have knives available. Use code BEARGREASE10 for 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people. The old-timers say that the turkeys start gobbling when the leaves are as big as squirrels' ears and the red buds start popping. And we're about there. And we are there in the South. The Onyx Hunt app is one of my most valuable tools in the spring woods. With tools like coniferous versus deciduous tree distribution layer, you can save time by locating edges or transition areas of mixing habitats from home. Find an area like this with water in close proximity, and more than likely, there will be a goblin turkey nearby. Knowing the exact boundaries of private ground ensures I stay on the right side of the fence, but can easily find public ground to go see if I can't strike a gobbler. If you do get one to sound off, using compass mode and waypoints will help you pinpoint his exact location, allowing you to move in and make the perfect setup to bring him right into your lap. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. You'll be glad you did. Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. No matter who you talk to, they'll tell you what a hard worker Louisdale was and that he was good at anything he did. Here's Andy with some insight. You know what people don't understand about Louisdale was he worked hard. You know, you think, you hear stories about people like that, and you think about them being, you know, they get the picture of this this country bumpkin that's a sluggard, and, you know, he don't want to work, he don't want to do anything. That guy worked hard, mm-hmm. and he maintained a farm. He built birth a chicken house for them to grow uh, eggs in. But he had cattle. You know, he cut hay. And, you know, what a lot of people don't know is Louisdale 
he had a contract at one time with Walmart stores putting in drop ceilings. He raised catfish, sold catfish for a living. Uh, he owned some uh, property down in Taylor, uh, Arkansas, where they had a catfish farm down there. And yes, I mean, he didn't do everything right in life, but he did a lot of things right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had a, had a huge heart for his community. I don't know, probably 25 years ago or 30, maybe been 30 years ago, there was some people, uh, it was a man and his wife, and they were raising kids and grandkids, and uh, they lost their home. And a lot of people don't know this, but Louisdale, it wasn't just Louisdale, but he ramrodded it. They put together money, and they bought them a mobile home and put back in there so they'd have a place to live. Hmm. But the thing about Louisdale was is you got exactly what you saw. Why is it so intriguing when someone is exactly what you see? Isn't that what we're all striving to display? But he wasn't just like this with his friends. He was like this with the law, too. The saga of Louisdale and Charlie is defined by an aversion to the law, to the man, but a deep devotion to those they called friends. Ironically, the lawmen even respected them. Here's Mr. Jimmy. And in this story, you're going to hear the name Bertha, which is Louisdale's wife of 54 years. So with your patrolling, tell me kind of the cat and mouse game that you had with them just your whole career, pretty much. Louisdale, <laughs> it started off with one day I was following Louisdale's truck, and I had followed that truck for hours. And finally... Because I was shadowing, you know, you, if you ever, ever try to follow a truck on a Forest Service road, you try to stay way back. But, you know, somebody's going to see you. Eventually, I ran to the corner, the truck was dead in the middle of the road. And I never had really lost sight of it because I know that Charlie or Ludell hadn't been in it because nobody jumped out of the truck when it stopped. I eased on up to the pickup, got out, walked up to it. Bertha was behind the wheel. She was sitting there laughing. I said, ma'am, what's wrong? She said, Jimmy Martin. Don't you know they hadn't been in this truck all day long? So I've been following that truck all day, <laughs> and she was just a, a lure, you know. And they put it on me bad because, like I said, I've been following her all that morning. Nobody oh, in it. They're smart. <laughs> but there was many a time I would find Louisdale coming out of the woods. Now, how he knew I would stop, be listening for turkeys, and I'd hear something crashing coming down the side of the mountain. It'd be Louisdale. He'd come over to the truck. Hey, Jimmy, how you doing? Never, never caught him with a gun. I would even call in back when we had, right after we had dogs, dog teams in the state, we'd have the dogs go up, try the way that he'd come down from the mountain. Looking so you'd, for he'd popped out on the road oh, yeah, just like, b- before season? Yes. Oh, yes. Before season, he's in camo. Just coming out of nowhere. I never could understand how he did it. And so, But y'all called dogs in to try to back trail him to where he sta- you thought he'd we stashed thought he, a shotgun. We always heard that he had a shotgun in a, in a hollow tree. Well, if he did, we never did find it. Hmm. He may not have had a gun in a tree. Maybe. <laughs> There's Wait, just no so telling. How many times did you trail him with a dog? Oh, we only we only did that twice because at that point we're giving up because we if we don't catch him in, you know with a gun coming out of the woods, you might as well forget it. Because when we brought the dog over two times, we, we just knew we was going to have him. He, he come out of the woods. We knew the spot he come out of the woods. The dog would trail him back, but the dog just kept trailing, trailing, trailing for miles. And he never would stop or hit on where there might be a gun. So it was a dog trained to find a gun? Oh, he trained to find a gun. He was trained to find a shell. The dog could even find a twenty-two casing. I mean, they were that wow. good. Wow. 
What did what did Louis Dale act like when you guys said you're going to get a dog? It didn't bother him at all. There's no sweat. He just laughed. Really? Yeah. It was. It didn't shake him. How did he? How did he treat you? Was he hostile towards oh, no, you? Was no. he? He was just as straight up with me as he as he could be. We'd laugh and joke and carry on. You know, if if I caught him, fine. But he says you're not ever going to catch me, Jimmy. He said that to you. Oh yeah, several times. <laughs> and I never did. <laughs> And it wasn't for want of trying because I wanted that steak dinner. <laughs> I caught a lot of preseason turkey hunters, but never did catch Louisdale or Charlie. So what do you think he was doing? How was he doing it? <laughs> I thought, and I never could prove it, that you know Bertha would take him out and drop him off. And he'd walk back home. And he, I'm sure he did that because she would take him deep in the forest. And I might catch him on a road in between walking back. But he never had a farm. Mm. So I know he didn't walk that far over there and then back where well, he may have, but he grew up in those woods and he knew them. So he just had probably stashes of guns in different places. That was theorized, but we never knew. And I, I, he may have took it with him when he, when he left this earth, but uh, he was good. He was real good. Hmm. I thought this would be an interesting question to ask Stoney about how they evaded the law. I wasn't certain how he'd respond. How did they evade the law so well? I've heard several stories of how they did things. They uh, specifically get, with turkey hunting. And you if you don't want to talk off. about it, let me get dropped off. I'm not doing anything illegal as far as what you can see. But if you sit there and wait on me, you're not going to see me again, because that ain't where I'm coming out, and you don't know where my gun's at. So they had guns hidden in the woods. I'm not sure that there's not some still hid in the woods, and I don't know where they're at. That was their secret, is they had people drop them off, and they had guns hid in the woods. Most of the time, yeah. Here's Andy with some more intel on one of their tricks. It was a game, Clay. And, you know, and I don't mean this bad, but Bluedell, he lived for that. He lived for that challenge. Yeah. He lived for that, I'll beat you at your game deal. You know, I know, I know this for a fact. He would take his... He'd take his little Toyota pickup over there, have Bertha fall, he'd drop it off and park it right on the side of the road because he knew they'd be sitting on it, and he'd be 10 miles from there turkey hunting. (laughs) 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 You know, because, I mean, they're going to sit on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and he'd be be someplace completely out of the country, someplace else turkey hunting. Yeah, yeah. And the the thing, and and that's the reason it goes back to – you know, to Bertha, bless her heart, she, she she got to drop him off a lot. Yeah. And she'd drop him off here, and he'd say, you pick me up there at noon. He kind of put it in the game warden's faces, though, that he was an outlaw. Yes. With Louisdale, it's a game. There was no real ill intent, at least not the way I interpreted Louisdale. A lot of people, a lot of wardens, a lot of law enforcement officers, they, they took it very personal. That supposedly here's this man, he's out here just slaughtering the turkeys left and right and uh, flaunting it in our face. But Louisdale, he never hurt my feelings. It was a game to him. You know, catch me if you can. And he bested the best of us, and we never caught him. Why do you think he was like that? That's just Louisdale. Turns out Jimmy and Louisdale both like coffee. Here's an interesting story. Well, it, ever preseason and that would we'd start like in march late february 
early March, we'd be out working pre what called preseason turkey hunting. And uh, every now and then I'd run into Louisdale. He'd always say, hey, Jimmy, you got any coffee? Was it, was it, I'm sure he was thirsty. He'd, here he is out there. Never caught him with a gun, but he'd be coming in and out of the woods. But it got to the point where I was meeting him, finding him so frequent, I wound up making an extra pot of thermos of coffee to go with me. So, I, you know, I had mine, and me and Louisdale, we might sit there and drink half a thermos of coffee between us. And the latter part of the, when I was working, he got to where he was kind of hard hearing. And, can you hear that bird, Jimmy? And he's using me, for, I guess, for the sounding board, just trying to spot <laughs> so turkeys for him. So you're sitting there drinking coffee with him, and you're hearing birds. We're hearing, you're we're hearing birds woods, gobbling. Oh, yeah. And he's asking you if you heard it yeah. so he can get a bead on right. it. Right. <laughs> now, that, that's classic. What what did you talk about with him when you're sitting there, and you 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 know that he's doing oh, we, something illegal? Well, we didn't dwell on the illegal hunting part. He, I mean, he knew if I caught him fair and square, he's going to get a ticket. And he knew in his own mind that I wasn't going to catch him because he done told me that. And if he tells you, he's going to do it. <laughs> but we, we talked about a lot of stuff, how things used to be back when we was growing up. Kids and grandkids and just life in general. We solved all the world's problems back there on those country roads. Did you enjoy seeing him if you saw Louisdale walking down the road? That oh, kind that was of... no problem at all. It's like old home week. So, uh, I mean, you, you, would, you would have enjoyed that. I had to. I mean, I knew the man. It, he, he wasn't the enemy. Not at all. It's just, uh, it's just Louie. I grew up with him and, and all the Edwards. Now, could that have clouded your ability to catch him? I don't think. I'm, I don't see how it could, because. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying you would have let him off if you knew something, but do you think that was part of their shtick into getting away? Was just kind of being likable and and befriending some of the people that were after him? I don't think so. I, I don't see how that really how that would have affected it because okay. I, I tried. I really wanted that steak dinner. <laughs> we'll learn that the Edwards brothers could be intimidating and downright rough in some situations. I asked him, though, if he ever felt intimidated by him. You know, it's like if I wrote Louisdale a ticket, he's not going to try to get back at me for that. If Now, if I had written him a ticket and it was uh, uncalled for, a chicken manure ticket, then, you bet, you know, he's going to, he might go out and kill double the amount of turkeys. You, you didn't do Charlie or Louisdale wrong, but you didn't, You I wasn't afraid of them. And, and, and they're the kind that uh, you don't mess with in the wrong, wrong way. You don't wrong them. Yeah. I can't say it on in a nice way on, on say, radio. Say it anyway. Well, you gotta say it. No, it's just. You crap on them, they're going to crap on you. Yeah. You treat them right, they're going to treat you right. Even if you're writing them a ticket, if you treat them in the right way, everything's going to go down just great. They weren't that intimidating. They're not, they didn't try to force their way out of a situation. It, you know, this quit following me as a game warden or we're going to get even with you. you know, none of that would ever happen. It, they, they don't do people that way. You know, Charlie and Luda, if I, if I told them I needed anything at all they would do it whether i'm law enforcement or not that's just the way they were they were good they were good people they really were yeah that's the that's the interesting part of this whole story is that they were these pretty notorious outlaws but then they were also like i i had i had a hard time finding people that were willing to talk about them because they were afraid it was going to make them look bad you know it's like wait a minute these guys 
you know, why are you defending the character of these, you know, these these poachers? That's the that's the that's the way a lot of people were. Why do you think people were so loyal to them? Well, they're not Claude Dallas, if if you know that name from out west. I don't. He he's the one that killed two game wardens out in I think it was Idaho. Okay. Louisville and Charter, they're not going to be violent against you. There was a romanticism of for some folks. When I t- started on as a game fish officer, you lose most of your friends. The people that I grew up with, hunted and fished with, that's the last thing they wanted to see was me coming up their driveway, especially in that game and fish truck. Louie and Charlie, they weren't like that. I, I have gone to their house many times on complaints. People had filed a complaint on them for one reason or another, and I would just pull up in the driveway, and we'd sit on the front porch and talk about it, me trying to get down to the the bottom of the situation as to you know what the facts were on it. I was never intimidated having to go drive up their driveway, whereas some of the kids I went to school with, it might be a little bit different. Hmm. I didn't have to worry about them. Yeah. And I could all I didn't have to walk backwards to my truck. I could always turn around when I left their house and just walk back to my truck normally because I knew I was nothing was going to happen to you. Yeah, that's that's a, I think I see what you're saying, and I guess you chased some guys that. You you wouldn't have done that with. I mean, you chase you chase some guys that were straight up criminals that would cut oh, your we, tires or oh, shoot you. Worse than that, but Charlie and Ludell, they were they were down to down to the earth folks. They they worked for when they worked they worked hard, and when they played they played hard. And a lot of people respected them for that. Ludell liked Jimmy and treated him with respect. Interestingly, in the 1980s, while Jimmy Martin was working as a police officer. He was shot three times in a DUI traffic stop. He had reason not to trust folks, but he trusted the Edwards. However, if you crossed them, or if for some reason they didn't like you, anything was on the table. Here's Stoney with a story of an interaction with the game warden that Louisdale didn't get along with. It's important to know that it is legal to run dogs for deer in many parts of Arkansas. Well, we were running dogs, which, you know, we're right on the game refuge line here. And uh, we had dogs over in the game refuge. Well, Uncle Odell's over there trying to catch them. And he's got his rifle. He ain't going to leave it laying. Sam was one of Uncle Odell's good deer dogs. But nobody would catch him but Uncle Odell. That's it. Any strangers around, that dog would stay out there 30, 40 yards. Nobody's going to get close. And, uh. Kenneth had stopped Uncle Odell and looked at his license and chewed on him about having dogs in the game refuge. Uncle Odell said, I ain't got no dogs in the game refuge. Well, whose dog is that? Uh, Uncle Odell said, I don't know. It ain't mine. And it had his collar on it. I mean, he knew it was his dog. He was over there to get him. (laughs) But he knew Kenneth couldn't catch him. Of course, Uncle Odell and Kenneth didn't get along, I mean... Just personality clash. They wouldn't mm-hmm. have got along if they had been met somewhere else. Right. But Kenneth, he just looked at Uncle Odell and he went to pull his pistol. And he said, we'll find out whose dog it is. And Uncle Odell cocked his rifle and pointed oh, it at Kenneth. Oh, he was going to shoot the dog. He was going to kill the dog oh, man. to look at the collar. And Uncle Odell just tilted his rifle up there and cocked the hammer. And he said, that dog dies, so do you. And Kenneth said, well, I thought it wasn't your dog. And he said, I don't give a damn. You ain't killing a dog in front of me. And it all ended right there. Kenneth and them went, got in their truck and left. And Uncle Odell loaded the dog up and went home. Wow. I, well, I got does, another how does, one. How, does, how does the law respond to that? Because 
I think maybe it was just from a different time because today you point your gun at a law enforcement guy, you're either going to get shot let or you're going to go to jail. Right, but let me ask you this. If the law enforcement guy is breaking the law, who's in the right? Right. Because by today's law, him shooting that dog would be a felony. So it's almost like there was some backwoods justice going on there between both of them. It, right. I mean, it's uh, you're just not going to do it, you know. And, it, that, and so nothing was ever said about it. No. Man, see, that's interesting because, the, and I think that does show you kind of the, I mean, it's like Bo and Luke Duke, you know, I fought the law and the law lost. That's a pretty wild interaction. And I realize that that's just one side of that story. But we do know for sure it was a different time. If that happened today, things probably would have been different. Probably. There's been several statements about them evading the law, but that actually didn't always happen. Jimmy never caught them. But as you'll see in the next podcast, we'll learn they actually got caught a couple of times, a long time before Jimmy. Here's one time when Louis Dell caught himself. We were over on the headboard camp, and, of course, me and Uncle Odell was coming back into camp, and Terry Lunsford was parked in the road. Forest Service Law Enforcement. Forest Service Law Enforcement. And Joe Lyles was game warden. Anyway, and I like both men, but anyway, Uncle Odell, being Uncle Odell, he gets out, and we're talking to Terry, and Uncle Odell said, well, I guess you better check our license, and Terry said no. This I, is at your deer camp? No, this is on the hood of Terry's truck. So just y'all y'all are just coming we're back, saw parked him. in the road. Okay, so it was like a roadblock. Right. Well, it wasn't really a roadblock. Terry was just pulled over, and we pulled up to talk to him. Okay. And we got out, and everybody's leaning on the hood, you know, talking. Yeah. There's four guys standing there talking, and then Joe Lyles pulled up. So all five of us is talking, and Uncle Woodell stayed on Terry. Oh, you're going to check license? He said, no, I didn't buy these things for nothing. <laughs> and he's pulling his billfold out, and Terry's like, well, I don't need to see your license. I know, you know, well, Uncle Woodell don't have one. <laughs> all the rest of us has got ours out there. And he turned bright red. Mm. I mean bright red. And went cussing. <laughs> And then the first thing, the next thing popped out of his mouth was, I can't believe Bertha didn't buy that. <laughs> Blamed her, <laughs> threw Bertha right under the bus. And then Terry just looked at Joe and he said, I ain't writing this ticket. Because mm. neither one of them wanted to have to deal with the aftermath. You know, mm. it wasn't that he was going to get revenge, but he was going to be mad at whoever wrote that ticket forever. Yep. Like, you wrote me a ticket. And... I think Joe finally wrote the ticket. And, of course, Uncle Udo later said, that's the only way he was ever going to catch me. <laughs> After doing some checking, it was actually Terry Lunsford that wrote the ticket. Here's Jimmy with his honest thoughts on the Edwards reputation. But a lot of Louisdale was bravado. It, you'd see him in a, in a restaurant, and, and people would get to talking about turkey hunting, Ludell liked to brag, and he, you know, he might not have killed near as many turkeys as people as he put out to be doing. Mm. I don't, I don't think he did that. At one time, he had a big ring of of turkey beards, but we don't know how long it been collecting those beards. Yeah, a lot of it was bravado. The, the turkey beard thing came from back when he was arrested for uh, moonshining. Moonshining. 
did he just say that Louis Dale got caught for moonshining? Man, there is not enough time in a single Bear Grease episode to even scratch the surface with these Edwards boys. You'll have to wait for part two of this podcast to hear the moonshining story, and it's a good one. If they killed half of what they got credit for, there wouldn't be any game left in Polk County. So you think a lot of their reputation... Oh, it just got... I'm sure they did kill more than their share, but it just got blown plum out of proportion. It, the myth, it, it created a myth, and it, it just carried on and on and on. Louisville and Charlie, they, you know, you're talking about the numbers of the killing 30 and 40 birds in a season. They did not waste any meat. So if they killed 30 birds, either their freezer was plum full of turkey, they gave away a lot because, it, you know, there's no way one family's going to eat 30 turkeys. And if they did give away that many, then the word would have gotten out. But if they did kill that many, they surely didn't waste it. What makes you say that? How do you know that? Because I know them. I know how they were raised and, and, and how they grew up and how they taught their kids. Yeah. It's just the way, it's the way it was when we grew up. You didn't waste that meat. Back then, it was precious. Yeah. They were yeah. good folks. Yeah. I don't care how many times I got to say it. I'll chase them. I'd ride them today if they were still, you know, if we were still back in that situation and they would know it but they're gone yeah here's Stoney on the big picture of his dad and uncle being outlaws how do you feel about your dad and uncle being outlaws like that and how would you be today you gotta look at it this way there's very few deer when they're younger you're not allowed to kill a doe right by putting that restriction on them, their chances of seeing one period were nearly void anyway. Yeah. And then you see one, oh, that's a doe, I can't shoot it. Well. That was a hard rule to follow. It was an impossible rule to follow. When you know you've got family at home that need that meat. You know, you've heard Old West stories of the guy went and killed somebody's cow and took it home. That was the only way he had to feed his family at the time. So he did it. Nowadays, I can't hold with a whole lot of it, and my uncle couldn't either. My dad couldn't either at the last. There's a point where we have enough. So you saw that inside of them. I mean, so oh, uh, th- there was a time, I mean, when they were killing that many turkeys kind of in their prime, I mean, they weren't, they had plenty of money. I mean, they weren't wealthy, but they, so they weren't killing turkeys just to feed the family. It was kind of a remnant of a time past. But then they got in their old age where they, they weren't well, killing as much I, stuff. Is I'm that not right? going to say that because, you know, when they were in their mid-30s, the only Christmas we had is from what they killed coon hunt. Their coon hides, you know, Dad and Uncle Udo made 3500 in one month coon hunting. Wow. Of course, hides were at 25 and $35 a piece, but they, were, they weren't working in the day at all. They got up in the evening, That's went all hunting, they did was coon hunt. came home, went to bed, got up, went hunting every single night, seven days a week, all winter long. If they did, were still up the next morning, you know, they'd get up and they'd go turkey hunting or they'd go kill a deer or, or they may have killed a deer that night while they were coon hunting. I mean, yeah, the work was very scarce that they were doing and it, that was it. I guess it was later in their life that they kind of did pretty well for themselves i mean louis dell uncle louis dell he he did pretty well all the way through dad uncle louis dell married 
one woman and was married to her for 50-something years. Mm-hmm. Dad married six. Okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> okay. So Charlie had six wives. Right. I'll be darned. I didn't know that. Dad made little fortunes and lost them all along the way. <laughs> Uncle Odell married one and made a fortune and managed to build it up. As far as their thinking went, if they needed it, they were going to go get it. And you know, yeah. and I would be the same way today, but I can't see a scenario where I would need it. Here's Andy telling why he misses Charlie and Louie Dell. They was great folks. I mean, I miss them. I mean, you, you just you just got to miss people like that because they're just so they're just so. I mean, pure. I mean, you're going to get the same thing every time. I mean, you're not going to get any. And Bluedell was loud. God, he'd come in up there at the office, and I'd shut my door. <laughs> and, of course, everybody at the office heard it, you know. He'd come in up there. I mean, this might be the 15th of March. He had two beards in his pocket. Hey, bro, look here. I killed two them beards. I'm <laughs> this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he'd leave there and go to the Holland house and tell him the same thing. I mean, in front. I mean, he didn't. I mean, it did not it did not bother him. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Isn't it ironic that these notorious outlaws were such respected and beloved people? Obviously, they had enemies too, and I'm certain there are unflattering stories about them, like there would be about all of us. Me telling the story of the Edwards brothers is clearly not condoning breaking game laws. And let me say, whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Times have changed for the better. Today, obeying game laws is the norm. And if you break them, you will be caught and severely punished. Game laws keep wildlife populations healthy. We love game laws. Today, the cool kids obey game laws. That's just the way it is. The prime of these guys' operation was simply a different time. It was a different mentality. So why did I tell the story? In a day of extreme polarization, of things either being black or white, someone is either a criminal or a saint. You've either been accepted or you've been canceled. It seems to me like we could judge people with a little more nuance. If we were all judged by our worst day, we'd all be in trouble. The Edwards story is extremely intriguing and complex. And my personal take home for Clay Newcomb has to do with the certainty of the Edwards brothers' identity. They could have taught a master class on functionalizing a strong identity. And I'm not saying it was healthy or constructive, but they didn't take cues about themselves from sources deemed irrelevant. And therein lies the issue with many of us. It was noteworthy to me that over and over and over, people said they were genuine. Well, aren't we all trying to be genuine? Or have most of us taken on an identity that's a facade? Wouldn't it be wild? if it took a couple of outlaws from Arkansas to help us see what it means to be a genuine human. 
It's just a thought. It's just something to think about. On the next episode, we're going to continue to hear stories about Louie Dell and Charlie. There just isn't enough time in this thing. And we're going to tell about the time they got busted for making illegal moonshine and how earlier in their lives they actually did get busted by the game and fish. Man, it's going to be good. Thanks so much for listening to Bear Grease. Share this podcast with the most law-abiding person you know this week and see what they think. Leave us a comment on iTunes, and we'll see you next week on the Bear Grease Render. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule. And it's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grease.